Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audible's podcast. I'm Eric Scopel, and Jared Mack is with me today on a, on a pretty beautiful Thursday morning here in the Willamette Valley, I will say. Weather's kind of turned. We had a, a nice storm a couple weeks ago, and now... Uh, now it's nice and sunny, 60 degrees probably today. Can't complain. Uh, but we've reached the point of the off-season where most of the attention is now looking forward, right? We, we kind of did our review segments. We've we've kind of broken down what 23 was. And to kind of help us steer the ship in the future, we've uh, brought on 24-7 Sports National Recruiting and one-time Oregon Director of Recruiting, Cooper Battaglia, to help us break it all down. Coop, how are we doing today? We're doing great, man. Good to be back. I know last time uh, I think we had a pretty good pod. I, I don't even know when mm-hmm. that was. Huh? It felt like almost like half a year ago. So Summer? Yeah. I think it was preseason, yeah. Yeah, been a while. But uh, good year for the Ducks, man. They're recruiting well, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk uh, a little Oregon recruiting. For sure. And I wanted to start kind of broadly, you know, and, and I – and it's early, obviously. The rosters aren't finalized. That's the crazy thing. We were just talking before we got on here about how much changes every year. And um, Oregon's roster is not finalized by, by any means, I guess. But the skeleton of what this team could be is kind of there. And I'm curious, just like, what do you see Oregon being in broad terms in, in 2024? Like, what are some adjectives or things that you kind of see that you go, oh, they're going to be kind of this type of team or that type of team? I'm just curious what your initial instincts are there. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, I think when they, if you want to say retained Dan Lanning, I thought it was interesting when the Alabama job came up and, and Nick Saban retired. And I thought Dan Lanning was the ideal candidate. And still to this day, I, I believe that. Um, 
And for him to be so bought into Oregon and what Oregon can be, and I, I truly believe this, and I believe this when Mario Cristobal was there, it just takes somebody that fully believes in the potential of that program. And I think Dan Lanning is that person. So I think Dan Lanning is going to be rewarded. I think that program is going to be rewarded. I think Phil Knight is going to be rewarded handsomely. And I went on Twitter and, you know, I was pretty conservative with it. I said, you know, I think there's going to be a big time return in terms of Oregon taking home some hardware in the next two to three years. I should have said that can really happen as soon as next year. You know, I feel really good about what they're bringing in, obviously, with Dylan Gabriel, 49 starts. They've just been very intentional. And I would say they got a, a lot of really good people in the program. I love what they've done on the offensive side of the ball, especially with Will Stein. But, you know, if there was a model, like if somebody were to ask me and, and say, hey, how would you build it right now in, in terms of everything, NIL, transfer portal, Oregon would be the model uh, for a lot of different reasons. Now, here's here's my thing. Not a lot of programs are going to have the financial backing of a guy like Phil Knight. I think the best thing to happen to Oregon's program is the alignment between Dan Lanning and, and Phil Knight. Um, so I think this is a program that certainly understands the times. Uh, they've been flexible. They've been adaptable. And quite honestly, they've been aggressive. You know, they're not out there star chasing. They understand where they need to improve. I love what they've done um, in terms of supplementing their roster via the transfer portal. And the other thing about this is anytime that you are going to build for a national championship in a sustainable product uh, year in and year out, that's going to be your goal. You're going to need a little bit of luck as well, right? So if you're Dan Lanning and people are saying, all right, what job would he ever leave for? I think if he didn't leave for Alabama, I think it's pretty clear he's not going anywhere. But why would you leave, right? Because everything you want is at Oregon. And then you think about going to the Big Ten and the other three schools, you got Jed Fish at, at Washington, who's a, a very worthy adversary. I think you, you got to give him his respect, what he's done at, at Arizona. And then you look at USC, uh, who they have failed to meet expectations, to be blunt, under Lincoln Riley going into year three. And then you got UCLA, uh, who under Chip Kelly uh, is just a stagnant program. Um, so if you're thinking about the West Coast and these big bodies and building it at the point of attack, it's the path of least resistance now for Dan Lanning in Oregon and how to build a roster. And he's done a tremendous job. I mean, we can do go down the list with top end talent really West of Texas that Oregon has done a tremendous job keeping home. Uh, and they've emphasized the line of scrimmage and the point of attack. They are the only team to do that. Uh, I would say going forward, I would say Kalen DeBoer, with all due respect, inherited a roster that was built from the POA uh, and a Joe Moore award-winning you know, offensive line. This one, in terms of what it's going to materialize to be, I mean, like, you know, it's been funny to kind of see the conversation between Washington and Oregon. It's like, well, yeah, they're they're 0-2. I get that. Give Kalen DeBoer, UW, a lot of credit in, in, in the head-to-head 0-3. -head, but in terms of what that's going to look like going forward, I always think year three for the head coach and the program where it's going to be now. Now is where these current head coaches are going to put their stamp on the program. And I, I just love uh, pretty much everything that Dan Lanning has done and his staff and uh, from the day that they have stepped foot in Eugene to what they've done today. Um, you know, I talk about like calculated aggression. Uh, that's my favorite philosophical term when it comes to player personnel and building a roster. 
they've been calculated and they've been aggressive. Um, everything that they do has intentionality. So I am super pumped uh, to see the product that they're going to put out on the field. And then also from a cultural standpoint, you know, they kind of embody their head coach, you know, it's kind of like that fire breather uh, type of personality mm-hmm. that we saw before the, the Colorado game. So I'm super excited, man. I think the sky's the limit. And now with the 12-team playoff, right, I, I think it's one of those things that the ball bounces your way. Maybe some matchups are a little bit more favorable. I, right. I, there's no reason um, in my mind to think that Oregon can't win a national championship next year. So um, I think from this point forward, they're going to be in it. And that's kind of the way that I, I see the program. So a long-winded answer just to say that I think they're a championship caliber team. You, you talked a little bit about the portal and that aggression that they have and going just after needs and not going star chasing. Well, I'm going to ask you to go star chasing right here, your favorite Oregon transfer portal edition. It, it can be the big name. It can be Gabe Moore or, or it can be whoever you think is underrated in this in this group of uh, 11 guys committed to the portal. Yeah, I, I love Dante Moore. You know, I think it's um, it's a new it's a it's kind of a a new way to bring in college football and say like, Hey, this is what it is. I think Dante Moore's a recruitment committed to Oregon flips, goes to UCLA and IL deal one year goes sour. He's back in the portal, Oregon and Dan Lanning has every reason to say, you know what? We're done. We, like we've been through this, we're done, but Oregon's able to go out. They're able to get their secure, their short-term future with a guy that started almost 50 games in Dylan Gabriel as a plug and play. And then they're able to go out, get Dante Moore, convince him to come back, really take the redshirt year that he should have taken last year. And now you've set up your short-term and your long-term future as well. I, I think last year somebody asked me about this. Hey, what do, you, what do you think about Oregon's class? And I'm like, I love Oregon's class, but you got to have the guy in the middle that's kind of the turnkey to make it all go. And now, to me, in my opinion, they have that for 2024 and they have that for 2025 and beyond. So I'm super excited about that. And I think that type of roster management, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, it's NIL. Well, yeah, that's the, it's the world that we're living in. It's legal, right? Like, I'm right. not, well, what do you want them to do? Everybody's They're doing, doing the it. best with their resources. It is what it is. If you're not doing it, then I, I'm not sure what your, what your goal is, right? So I, I think the way that they're able to navigate that quarterback position uh, is a little bit of a trend-setting type of move where now I think it's going to have uh, other programs thinking a lot bigger and a lot larger. And instead of saying, Hey, you know what, let me just think about 2024. Let's think about the future as well. And kind of how that sets up. So, um, I thought that was a fascinating move and I loved it. I'm happy you touched on that. Cause that was something I wanted to ask you about. And, and I also wrote fascinating down around it. Cause I, I, I'm curious to see what the relationship and the mentorship looks like between having a Gabriel. Cause it's a unique situation where more comes in having, started five games at UCLA, but seemingly with the expectation or understanding he won't be starting games at Oregon in 24, barring injury. And obviously you know, that could change and Oregon has probably as good of a backup situation as anybody now. But what does it require for someone like Dante Moore to go from his situation at UCLA to Oregon? And how unique is that? Like you talk about that being something that other teams will try to replicate. And I know or Ohio State kind of did it with grabbing to this cycle, but Sands, a younger prospect. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious, like, do you think it's really that replica, re- replicatable? I said that very wrong. Uh, right. I think it's something that'll happen <laughs> frequently because 
it's uh, it, it's it's really interesting to me that Oregon was able to pull it off, and I think it did take kind of very specific circumstances for it to be pulled off like this. I think it was a, a mulligan for Dante Moore, you know, just to be honest. I think if he could have it back and redo it all over again, he'd probably say, you know what, I wouldn't start in my career in L.A., um, and I don't know all the details in terms of why Dante Moore ended up in at, at UCLA and how that happened. Maybe it was a clearer path to the field. He didn't want to sit initially and then, you know, gets his first dose of college football um, and reality kind of sets in a little bit and says, you know what, maybe I wasn't as ready to play as I thought I was. And, and, and Dante Moore's defense, he went into a situation where I would say, you know, from an interior offensive line standpoint, you turn on that Utah game, you can kind of see the issues with what a freshman quarterback would be facing or any quarterback for that matter. It doesn't matter if it was Bo Nix. That's a tough environment to throw in uh, an 18-year-old quarterback for the first time. So in terms of how repeatable it is in the future, I think, you know, you talked about Ohio State as well with Julian saying, I think it's going to require uh, a certain program and a certain head coach with a certain resume to say, you know what, um, this is still an attractive spot. Come sit for a year. We have your best long-term interest at play here. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that every program can just do, right? I think it's going to be certain programs like Oregon. We've seen it with Ohio State as well, uh, Alabama as well. You know, you look at Austin Mack coming over from UW, right, even though he hasn't played. Um, and obviously that's a coach-to-player situation. Uh, these guys at the end of the day, ultimately, I think are starting to realize and understand a little bit more, like you see in like Dante Moore and Will Stein, uh, Julian Sane and Bill O'Brien, right? Austin Mack and Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, right? It's going to be more like that quarterback coach relationship is really important, especially when you're talking about highly touted guys uh, that believe that they have a future on Sundays as well. Oregon's 2024 recruiting class, 26 kids, 21 four stars. There were some you know, question marks going into early signing day, mostly around like wide receiver. And then they get Jeremiah McClellan, flip him from Ohio State, then flip Ryan Pelham from USC. In your perspective from a national guy, we don't get too many national guys on here, but was it more impressive to the, the finish to the class that they were able to flip McClellan, they were able to flip Pelham? Or was it just the fact that you know, they were able to retain all these guys, even down to the finish. You know, I think they had everybody sign on that on early signing day, including guys like Jaquan McRoy, who had Colorado going after him and plenty of others. Well, it's interesting. You know, he comes from um, Kirby Smart tree and Dan Lane. I mean, obviously everybody knows this, but if you hear Kirby Smart talk a lot, he, he always talks about being able to keep the mentality of being a hunter instead of being the program that is hunted. That That's the... That's the difference right now that applies not only on the field of play that that applies in the sphere of recruiting as well. And I think that's the mentality of Dan Lanning. He's always on the hunt, which is, you know, why we've seen them be able to kind of pull some things off late in the cycle. You look at Jeremiah McClellan. I mean, it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. They just kind of keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. They have guys right. on their board that commit to other programs. It's not going to deter them. Right. I, in, in most cases, a program like Oregon or a program like Georgia is just going to turn it up a little bit more, right? And ultimately, at the end of the day, the program that is the most consistent and relentless with their messaging uh, and then is able to pair that up with on-field results, ultimately, at the end of the day, is going to be able to win. Um, you know, so it's like you just never know, 
Like it, it, you look mm -hmm. at Gatlin Bears recruitment, and we'll see what happens with him. It's down to Michigan and Oregon. Yep. Michigan seems to be in the driver's seat, and all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh is off to the NFL. What if Dan Lanning was to take his foot off the gas pedal? What would happen with that recruitment? It leaves a window for Sharon Moore to get back into the driver's seat, where if Oregon was to do what they've been doing the entire time, now Oregon's in a situation where they find themselves where more than likely Gatlin Bear is probably going to end up in Eugene, right? So that's what it is. It, it's just consistent. You never know what's going to happen. Nick Saban could retire. You know, Kalen Boer could go down to Alabama, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you're presented with this opportunity to cash in, right? So it's yeah. all about consistently putting yourself in the best position available to take advantage of opportunities when you have that window. Um, and I think Dan Lanning and his staff are very keen to that. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think they put the same amount of effort in playing defense and retaining their relationships as they do trying to flip a prospective player as well. So, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised, man. I think there's only, you know, I could probably count on one hand uh, how many programs kind of operate that way. And I think, you know, Dan and his staff are, are one of them. One of the things that really stands out, and you've already addressed a little bit, but is is how Oregon has recruited the trenches, and in particular on the West Coast. Like if we look at the twenty four seven sports rankings, which I know you're you're involved with a little bit, Oregon landed three of the top four defensive line slash edge rushers in twenty four, three of the top five linebackers. Shocking West Coast print footprint here. How, what does that do long term for a program? Because last year Oregon, I don't know, I don't have the exact stats up in front of me, but it was similar where they went and basically landed undoubtedly the best defensive line talent, best linebacker talent in the conference. What does that do long-term for a program, especially in a, in a part of the country, as you've established, that is kind of maybe lacking in this area? And so to clean up and get 75% or 60% of the top guys, what, what does that do for Oregon, do you think, going forward? Well, short-term, obviously, it gives you the – you know, the, you, you get the chance to get the best talent in your program and develop those guys. That That's what's important long-term to me is the importance. You were sending a message to every prospect and, and their family and the decision makers on the West Coast that the best players at these positions have an opportunity to play premier football at a championship level and they don't have to go East. That's it. That's, that's essentially what you're saying. You want a chance to come to this program, compete for a national championship, and then have a career on Sundays, you don't have to go to Georgia. You don't have to go to Alabama. You don't have to play in the SEC. You can have it all right here. That That's the message. And here's the other thing. When the other three programs from the West Coast aren't doing that, it makes it so much easier. Like, this is what I keep coming back to. It's, yes, it's a lot about Oregon, but it is a lot about USC. USC, hypothetically, is supposed to be the premier program on the West Coast. They have dropped the ball on that. That is not their identity. That is not what they do. They want to recruit more nationally. They can do that. I understand that. But now what they're doing is they're leaving another window of opportunity open for Oregon and Dan Lane and says, all right, you don't want to recruit both sides of the line of scrimmage from the West Coast and you feel like you got to go to Florida to go get those guys. Great. Great for us. You don't, you don't want Aiden Breland? I'll take him. You don't want Elijah rushing? I'll take him. Great. You know, who are some other guys that they brought in, you know, at the second level, first and second level as well. Um, so, you know, if you got a grocery store closer to your house that is able to kind of provide everything else that you need, why are you going to travel the extra 20 minutes, you know, to, 
to go further down the line and, and, and go get your premium beef. Right. So um, mm-hmm. he's shopping the right way uh, in my mind. Um, and there's not a lot of people holding his hand to the fire and saying, Hey, you got to come through us to come get what you want. That is just not the case. He's got, he's got pretty much free reign on the West coast right now, which kind of blows my mind. Um, but I think that's kind of the way that, you know, he thinks about it. Uh, I think he's smart uh, and understands that. And I think that's, Big part of the reason he decided to stick around in Oregon is why am I going to go to a more competitive market where more people think the way that I do rather than just stay out here? I get everything I want and nobody's really going to uh, to push me in a way that, you know, I'd be pushed down there. I was going to ask something about do you think that, you know, recruiting at this level, having the, the best class in programs history, if this was, you know, if they could repeat it consistently. But I think I think you just answered that. So. I'm going to audible here and uh, ask a different question. Again, another like national perspective that I want to hear from you. When you and you kind of touched on it earlier with you know, with Alabama's job opening up and Dan Lanning being like uh, whatever he was labeled as when it's when it first happened. I just wanted to hear about that kind of sweepstakes from your perspective as a national guy, and then what it what it kind of meant to the overall you know, landscape of college football when Dan was like, no, I'm, I'm coming back when he released the video. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a parody shift. Right. Um, and quite honestly, like I think so highly of Dan Lanning cause I respect so much of the principles and the values and the way that they recruit and their aggression. It's just, you know, it's kind of the way that I was brought up within the industry and then to see them recruit with so much force, uh, but intentionality, uh, you don't get to see that very often, right? You see that out of programs like Alabama and Georgia. We haven't seen it on the West Coast in, in quite some time. So um, in terms of the Alabama job, you know, I thought he would have been the perfect guy for it. Everything I just said, it kind of gets you more excited that he's sticking at Oregon, right? Because I think it, there's there's um, there's there's more of like he you the, the margin of error at a place like Alabama is so slim. Right versus what he has done in Oregon in a short amount of time to build it up to what it can be, uh, and right. also have an, a, another step in front of them as well. So, you know, I think it's interesting, man. I, Kalen DeBoer, um, which I don't have to tell Oregon fans, is a hell of a coach. I think he is one of the best coaches in all mm-hmm. of college football, especially when it comes to Saturdays. Now, that being said, the biggest question that I had about Kalen DeBoer when he was at Washington was okay, what happens when we get to year three? UW is more than likely going to have 10 plus players drafted this upcoming year in 2024. Right. And the majority of those guys I'm very familiar with because the majority of those guys came from the 19 and 20 class. Right. If you go through that roster, they did an exceptional job adding some seasoning to it. Guys like Jabbar Muhammad, Michael Penix, Jalen Polk and Dylan Johnson. Like those guys took took that program to another level in the last two years. So they deserve all that credit. But in terms of the homegrown talent and what they were, were able to do in the Chris Peterson era, I did not see them doing that presently at the time. It wasn't like they were backfilling that talented of a roster with that type of talent. I didn't see the Roma Dunzes. I didn't see the Jalen McMillans. I didn't see the Troy Fatanus. I didn't see the Eddie Ulifacios and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that those guys can materialize, but all right, when, when all else is even and UW is losing the majority of their starters coming back from a national championship year, what's it going to look like? Cause I got one program doing this 
and the other program i just don't know it's a it's a it's a very much wait and see right so this is what i expected from a talent acquisition standpoint is like they just keep coming that's oregon they just keep mm -hmm. coming they're just getting better and better and better washington is like okay they're here this is maybe as high as I can see them at this point. And I don't think that they have recruited at the level where they're, they're going to overcome the level that they're playing at right now. So Kalen DeBoer is now at a situation in Tuscaloosa where yes, he inherits one of the most talented rosters in all of college football, but it's not like that program at UW was this well-oiled machine when it came from a recruiting standpoint where they're like, yeah, these guys are world beaters in terms of, everything I've said about describing Oregon in terms of talent acquisition and strategy um, and just kind of like foaming at the mouth when it comes to recruiting. Yeah. That, like if I'm being honest, that is not Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer is one of the best coaches in the country. I've said that when it comes to recruiting talent acquisition roster, all that's really important. Now here's the thing. I don't think, I, I, I don't know if the two most talented rosters played in the national championship year this year. You know, but I do think the two most complete teams did, you know, and, and then being able to say, all right, well, you, you think of everything about scheme, the quarterback position as well, and then the experience. I think that's really kind of what overcame at the end of the day. But when you don't have that, what's going to get you there? Right. So I think it's going to be super fascinating to see how he uh, navigates, especially the first two years. And here's my thing. They got the talent. If he can go out, win 20 games in his first two years, win some big ones, I think Kalen DeBoer is in a really good situation because now the way college football is with recruiting, it's really not recruiting. It's just transactional, right? So we live in this transactional right. space. Um, so if he can prove that he can get the job done there in his first two years, they're going to be super pivotal, then I think that kind of opens the door. It buys him some time. Some people say, all right, this guy's legit. And now you can continue to add talented bodies in there. But there is, you know, as transactional as it is, it's still not that black and white. Like relationships matter to, to some point, right? So we'll see, man. It's a it's a it's an odd concoction uh, in terms of, you know, taking a guy out of South Dakota and, you know, he's he's a hell of a coach. He's a hell of a dude. That place is different, man. You know, uh, and the first time they drop a game that they weren't supposed to drop, we're going to be yeah. able to kind of feel what 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 that's yeah. going to be like. So, um, yeah, he's got his hands full. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating to kind of see how that shakes out. I think it was Tom Fernelli on the cover three the other day who said it's going to be like step stepdad syndrome for the Alabama fan base. And like, who's this new guy leading the show? Like, it's just going to be a weird right. day, right? When uh, anytime they lose, they're like, Dad wouldn't let that happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we'll have more with Cooper Patagna after the break. We're going to start looking at Oregon's moving to a new conference. I think Cooper might have some thoughts that we want to uh, look at from that perspective. So uh, we'll take a quick break here and be back on the Outsiders. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right welcome back to the odds and audibles podcast um cooper new conference for the ducks uh broadly just broad thoughts what do you think we're gonna go into the big ten I'm excited about it, man, you know, because, you know, I, I think to myself, every time I like give a compliment to Dan Lanning or Oregon on Twitter, you know, somebody calls me like a homer. And I was like, man, I was, like, I was there one year. I never worked with this guy. I've never met this dude. I just respect uh, him at a very high level in the way that they go about their business, you know, but um, I'm excited because I think everything that they have been building towards is a culmination of what you're going to see this year. And I'm excited about their brand of football that they're building and the physicality that they want to play with at the line of scrimmage, colliding with a conference that is known for that. Right. So um, I think they're going to be a great fit. I think they're ideal fit for the big 10 and what they want to do. Um, And, you know, the other thing about Oregon is, is like, yeah, people are going to talk about their physicality and what they've done at the line of scrimmage. I'm excited what they've done at the skill positions too. Right. They got a little bit of everything. So uh, they can bang inside, but they're also got a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism on the perimeter as well, both sides of the football. So I think it's going to be an interesting blend. And um, I think this is going to be a team from day one um, that is really not going to have a lot of issues acclimating. I think that the, the travel is going to be fascinating, right? I also think the environments as well, like being in the Pac-12, there's some games you like go play at Cal and there's nobody in the, in the stadium or Stanford, you know, now it's like big 10. It's like, all right, man, like you're on the road at Iowa or Wisconsin or Nebraska, like doesn't matter their record. Like these people show up, right? Like these are competitive environments or it's a little different breed of football. And I, I'll give Oregon fans a lot of credit. Like that was one place that we played at, whether, you know, I was an opponent at Washington or when I worked there, what was the COVID year, but so I guess when I was at UW, where you're like, you step in that stadium, like it's got a little different feel than every other stadium in the pack, right? So um, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm super interested uh, just to kind of see how they um, are able to, I don't want to say adjust, but acclimate into that environment. And I, I got a pretty good feel that they're going to be up to the task. So I think there's going to be a big chip on their shoulder too, man. Like I, I think he's going to have these boys ready to play. Um, and I'm excited about it. Why do you why do you think there's going to be a chip on the shoulder? I feel like good, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, good coaches always find a chip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you look at that Colorado game and it's like, you know, watching yeah. it before and obviously like, you know, you can be a prisoner of the moment, but it was like, man, it's like, all right, you're watching that pregame speech and you're like, all right, these guys, these guys have taken that personal, you know, should you take it personal? I don't know. But, you know, he's got his boys fired up, you know, and those guys are out there right. and they go out and they get the result that they want. Right. Um, you know, you look at Georgia and every time they host a national championship trophy, one of the players said, hey, oh, you guys doubted us. Or like, Dude, we had you guys in the championship <laughs> no, way yeah. before, you know, like, what are you what the hell are you talking about? These guys, there's a little bit of psychology magic to it. Like, Dude, these guys are mm-hmm. kind of brainwashed a little bit. So any type of edge, any type of motivation that you can find, I'm sure Dan Lanning's going to say, hey, man. They just think we're another West Coast team. You know, we got to show them like what, what we're really about. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's what it comes down to. And, 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 you know, like I think the great competitors, I mean, you look from Michael Jordan to Nick Saban, they're always looking for that little bit of edge that they can, you know, course, every game, yeah. every matchup is going to be a little bit different. Do you have obviously it's still so damn early, but and you kind of touched on it, but. Do you have like some sort of expectation for what Oregon's going to do in their first year? Like, they've been ranked pretty high, but just is there an expectation from you? Yeah, I mean, I quite honestly, you know, I'd be, um, I like, like I said in the beginning, I got to stick to it, right? This is a team that I, I fully expect to have all the goods to compete uh, for the national championship at the end of the year. So. You know, I, I expect this to be a double-digit uh, win team uh, in the Big Ten, and I think those should be the expectations. Um, you know, I always talk about the third year being a critical year. You think about what Dan Lanning's done, 120-plus games at Oregon. I think they have all the pieces. I think they have continuity uh, on both sides of the football. This is year three. They have an identity established, uh, and they have a vision for going forward, right? So I think when you think about that, I like the fact that, you know, year three for a head coach, too. It's like, you know, you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot in year Mm -hmm. one. You apply it in year two. You learn some other things. Now, year three, you're like, all right, things are slowing down a little bit. I know what to expect. I know what we're getting into. I know the adjustments that we need to make. Um, So in terms of the tip of the spear of the operation, I expect it to be the sharpest this year. Um, So I got a lot of expectations for this team and, you know, um, they're going to be up there, right up there with Ohio State, right up there with Michigan, right up there with those guys. And there's no reason to think why they can't be right. I, I, I would I would ask, like on the opposite side, why why wouldn't they be able to do that? Right. So, yeah, uh, they're they're certainly talented enough. You've got such an interesting career resume in terms of everywhere you've worked, having worked in Michigan's recruiting department. You were at Cincinnati, I think, shortly after. Then you went west to to Washington and then down to Oregon. I'm just curious, having had experience with the Big Ten, being in the Midwest, even at Cincinnati, that's a little different than being in the Pac-12. Like what, and you kind of touched on it with some of the environment stuff, but what is really different between Big Ten football and Pac-12 football? Maybe that, obviously the the Oregon staff has a sense of, but our listeners maybe who are entering a year where it's very strange where you're switching conferences, just get a sense of kind of what you're, what you notice kind of being in two different parts of the country and in two different conferences like that. The line of scrimmage uh, and the continuity at the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive line. You know, the biggest thing is, is when you're recruiting in the Midwest is, you know, different parts of the country that I've, I've, I've learned this and it's certainly obvious, but are, they're going to be richer at certain positions, right? There's going to be, um, if, if you're down South, I mean, obviously the point of attack, mid skill positions, you can find a little bit of everything, but if you're in the Midwest, in terms of developmental bodies at the offensive line, 
I mean, these are some big creatures here, right? Uh, that in terms of once they get in the strength conditioning program, nutritional program, I just remember when I was in Michigan lining up against Wisconsin and, and lining up against some of these teams, Michigan State, um, in terms of the consistency uh, with the the line of scrimmage play in terms of the size and what you're looking for and the physicality that was kind of kind of brought week in and week out. Very much uh, so, the majority of the teams in the Big Ten, the identity is up front. That's, that's where the game is played. In the Pac-12, it did not feel that way. It felt like when you know I was at Oregon, we were trying to build that mentality, certainly under Mario Cristobal, where, hey, we were going to be a physical team uh, that was going to own the line of scrimmage. That was not the way uh, the majority of programs thought out West. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were able to go out and find those caliber of players, that type of size, we always felt like that was going to be a huge advantage. Uh, and we did a good job of that in my short time at Washington as well. I mean, you think about guys like Kalepo, Bulo, Fatanu, um, mm-hmm. Rosengarten, right? Like all those guys consistently across the board had the size, had the intangibles that we were looking for, right? Which has proved to be, even in a, even in a dynamic passing offense like Kalen DeBoer, a big plus uh, for a team like Washington last year. So that's really it, man. Like, you know, and, and it's a different style of play. Like, you know, th- those pads are popping those, you know, same deal with the helmets as well. It's like, there's a different level of, I would say intensity in the trenches um, that I'm excited because quite honestly for Oregon, like that's going to be a challenge for them. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, I think that's, that's going to be a part of their trajectory is the necessity of being able to play sustainable high-level football at the point of attack. Um, And nothing is going to bring that out more than playing a team like Michigan or or playing a team like Ohio State uh, where you're going to have to go see those big bodies uh, week in and week out. I've got a very broad question for you next. And, you know, I feel bad asking 33 minutes into the show because it could be a long answer, but – uh, you know, we had last time you were on, we had a great conversation about NIL and, you know, Boston College's head coach, or now former head coach, Jeff Halfley, just went to Green Bay to be their defensive coordinator. And, and Pete Thamel of ESPN reported, like, basically, he just wants to coach ball. Like, he doesn't want to do with the NIL. He doesn't want to do with the portal, things like that. And there are some reports when Saban retired that that might have been something about retiring, like all the NIL stuff. Is this, do you anticipate this continuing? in college football where coaches are just like, this is a bit too much. It's the transactional idea that you talked about earlier in recruiting and and in the portal. Like, do you think that this is something that is going to continue? hundred percent, man. I mean, think about uh, all these variables that you have to go through and hoops you got to jump through and you don't know how much guys are getting paid and they're requesting this much money. And there's no structure. Um, Mm You know, um, and it's very difficult. uh, And the calendar on top of it makes no sense, uh, drives these guys into the ground. Um, And it's just always something. So you would like to think as a head coach or just a coach of a position room, like, hey, I have some sort of expectation of knowing what my room is going to look like or my roster is going to look like. And at any point, um, you know, with with the first and second transfer portal window it's just kind of like whoa and and even if these guys have no intention but they want to test the market 
they're able to do that as well. I mean, they're able to kind of hold you hostage. So, you know, there are a couple uh, recruitments that I didn't really – you know, Lance Hurd played almost 200 snaps this past year, the former five-star out of Louisiana, got some really good spot duty. Um, I wouldn't call him a developmental guy, but, you know, he's, he's, he's got some room to certainly improve technically. And so I'm jumping in the portal, goes to Tennessee, probably ends up making good money, but it's like continuity at those positions long-term is everything. Those are developmental right. positions, right? Like the, the Dante Moore stuff makes me feel like icky. Like I'd feel so much better about Dante Moore if he had went to Oregon, had to sit behind Bo Nix, Maybe they didn't think he was ready. They brought in Dylan Gabriel anyway. Now he's got to sit two years, right? As opposed to he goes to UCLA. Now he's back at Oregon. Now he's got to sit another year. It's kind of like, man, a quarterback's confidence is a really delicate thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so Halfley was, wasn't was a guy that loved to recruit. I will say that. Um, but, right, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these ball coaches, they want to coach ball. They don't want to deal with all this other stuff, right? Why would you? Um, and there's no – there's no level of, hey, this is what it's going to look like. I could wake up tomorrow and I got to play roster defense. And it and it, there, nobody escapes from this. Nick Saban doesn't escape from it. You know, uh, more than three quarters into the season, and he's got you know a third of his roster saying, hey, this is what it's going to take to keep me next year. I got six rings. You know, I got 49 <laughs> first round draft picks, and I got right. a guy who hadn't played any snaps telling me that he needs a hundred thousand dollars to stay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, hell yeah, I go grab my boogie board and get the hell out of there. It's not worth it, you know. Um, so I don't, you know, it's crazy, man. Um, a lot of the money that's being thrown around, people, I, I, it, I think a lot of people on the outside think it's crazy, and they hear all these numbers, and then you talk to like personnel directors, and you talk to some of these coaches, and it's like, it's the worst. They hate it. They're, they're pulling out their hair. They don't sleep. Like their job is just completely unpredictable. They have no idea what tomorrow brings. Um, and, you know, the, always the response is, well, they get paid a lot of money. They should be able to deal with whatever. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But um, on the other side, it, it almost makes it incredibly impossible to do your job. Um, so, yes, uh, I, I think the answer is, is that, you know, you will see a lot of coaches, whether it's coaches opting to leave for the NFL, whether it's coaches just saying, you know what, this is kind of taking five to six years off my shelf life. I'm done, man. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing, not doing this. And now what you're seeing is you're seeing more inexperienced coaches getting head coach, head coaching opportunities at an earlier age um, because it's kind of, I don't want to say trimming the fat, but it's pushing a lot of these guys that really don't have the, the bandwidth to be like, Hey, I'm going to do this anymore. You, you know, and for a lot of these guys, man, it's an ego thing. It always is like, I've done this at a high level for all this time. Now I got somebody's, you know, seven on seven coach from high school telling me, you know, we got to pay this kid 60 K, you know, it's like, what in the hell are we doing? Um, <laughs> and that's the question that I think a lot of these people inside organizations are, are asking every day, you know, um, cause there's no rules. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's the wild, wild west on, on steroids. And you get based upon what you just said, Cooper, why someone like Halfley would say, let's go take competitive salary to move up to the NFL where I'm not having to jump through any of these hoops. Like it, it, it makes sense why that's becoming something people look to do. Why does the NFL have a better quality of life than college football? The NFL billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. 
I, I talked to a, a scout the other day that there's a GM job open in college football, a power five job. I asked him, I said, would you be interested in this? This job probably pays four or five X of what he's making right now. He said, absolutely not. I talk yeah, no to these chance. NFL liaisons every day when I go into these schools. They are miserable. They're always looking for a way out. They want to go to the NFL. They hate their job. They're not even doing the things that really first interested them when they got into the profession. Now it's just, you know, you're you're a product of what the game has become. And the game has become um, dictated by a lot of people that don't have an expertise in this really at the end of the day. But they got the upper hand right now because of the way that it's, you know, uh, continue to spiral out of control, quite honestly. I'm not sure there's a natural transition to this question to wrap it up here. But uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about this because we hear so frequently people reference Dan or Mario or different coaches that have been at Oregon as bringing an SEC approach to recruiting to the West Coast. And, and that's been referenced a lot with Landing based upon his stops at Bama and at Georgia. I want to get your perspective as somebody who's worked on recruiting staffs at Alabama and at, and at LSU. And so you've been in that part of the country, you've been around those types of programs. What does that mean? What, when you hear SEC recruiting approach, does that mean one or two things or is that just a broad term that people like us that are being lazy and don't necessarily understand it or are using no it means putting the putting the player and putting the talent before anything else you know it's like here here's my thing i remember this um i think i might have told you guys last time we we're on like when i was under chris peterson at washington man it you talk about like complete human being ceo talk about structure organization Everybody knew their job, knew their responsibility, knew what you were doing throughout the entire day. And we would do all those things. Um, and then I got to Oregon and it was, you know, under Mario, it was just kind of, it was kind of like, hey man, a lot of shooting from the hip. It was kind of willy nilly, wasn't always organized. But the difference is at the end of the day, Mario was all about the player. And what I mean by that is he understood that the bottom line and how you move the needle at the end of the day is whether you got a guy like Justin Herbert, whether you got a guy like Panay Sewell, whether you got a guy um, like Javon Holland. You know, so when you're in the fourth quarter of that game and you're wondering, all right, what's the difference here? It's one or two plays from one of those three guys that I just mentioned. Right. It's a game winning INT to seal it. It's a play of Justin Herbert rolling out, making a ridiculous throw against his body to Dylan Johnson. Right. Like it's Panay Sewell not allowing any pressures. And at UW, it was so much about, hey, like, you know, and, and I cherish this about Coach Pete. And this is the way it is at a lot of places. And I think it was part of our why we've had so much success with a lot of these guys getting drafted. We wanted to make sure that we had the, the person right. Um, but at the end of the day, man, like, you know, you can spend so much time on a whiteboard or you can spend so much time talking about culture. But at the end of the day, like you got to have the Jimmy's and Joe's right to put you in that position. And if you can coach ball, then your responsibility becomes, all right, can you get those guys motivated? Can you get them locked in? And then can you put them in the best position to be successful? So when you talk about an SEC mentality, Kirby Smart knows that his best asset is his roster. And mm -hmm. it's the same with Mario Cristobal. And you could be an average coach. You can be an above average coach. 
Um, but when you have that caliber of talent to overcompensate in the cupboard for a lot of those deficiencies, that's what that means. And when you don't have that talent, your margin of error shrinks by a considerable amount. Then you have to be perfect. Then it puts more pressure on the play callers. Then you have to be right more times than you are wrong. But if you got the guys that can roll, that are locked in and, and are coachable and can be developed, shoot, man, yeah, it makes everybody look like a genius, right? It's like Glenn Schumann, you know, like Glenn Schumann's a hell of a ball coach. Nobody's recruiting the second level better than them. And it's like, I believe in that guy. I believe in what he can be. And a lot of that, same with Todd Hartley at Georgia in that tight end room. But guess what, man? Like, you know, you got Brock Bowers, you got Oscar Delp, you got Lawson Lucky, you got Raylan Wilson, CJ Allen, you got Justin Williams. Like, it's the best clay of any position room in the country, both in the tight end and the linebacker. You know what I'm saying? It's going right. to, if, and if you're a good coach, right, those guys are going to make you look a lot better than you actually are. That's the benefit of recruiting that caliber of talent. So I think as a head coach, and this is kind of what I see with Clemson a little bit, the moment that you believe your secret sauce is your program and your message and your player development, and we'll get them here and we'll get them right. Yes, that's important. It's all part of it. But really at the end of the day, these guys got to have the physical ability, physical clay that you can mold and make sure to materialize at the end of the day that these guys are going to be Sunday players. Um, and that's what it comes down to, you know, um, who, you know, when you're running that race at the end of the season, who's got more ponies, right? Um, now, I did say that I thought the two most complete teams were in the national championship. I didn't think the most talented teams were. I thought Alabama and I thought Georgia were the two most talented teams. Uh, but who's playing the best football? And that's kind of where coaching comes in is in January, right? Uh, experience as well. So there are some like other catalysts to that. Not the, the, the most talented team is not always going to win, but you know, think about Alabama, man, would they beat USF by 10 points earlier in the season, two touchdowns, whatever right. it is. That's a team that continued to get better, got coached throughout the season, found their identity. All of a sudden they're, you know, they're one game away from another national championship. Right. So I'd rather have that team at the end of the day that has a ceiling to continue to grow into than a team that's got a small margin of error that almost has to play perfect week in and week out. And that's that's what I've seen with with Oregon, to be quite honest, is this is a guy, he's continuing to raise the ceiling of the program by continuing to stockpile talent. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, he's making his job easier. He's making Tosh Lupoy's job easier. He's making Will Stein, Wilson Loves, all their jobs easier when you have Right. Some of the best players uh, and athletes in the country. It makes everybody's job easier. Fantastic stuff, Cooper. Thank you for 45 minutes. I mean, that was, yeah. that was more than any of us anticipated. Um, tell the listeners where they can find your work. I know you're you're ramping up here for, gosh, it's less than a week away, the original signing day, but now the late signing period. Uh, tell listeners kind of what they can uh, expect from you in a short time. I'm, I'm not shocked by the 46-minute mark because we do a <laughs> podcast every Tuesday and Wednesday, and I think every time we go in there, we're like, hey, we're going to do 30 minutes, and it ends up being like 58, 59 minutes on the dot. So yeah. uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday, we do the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Pod. That's at 5 o'clock Eastern time. That will be on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, or you can find that wherever you find your podcasts as well. And then we have – from 2 to 5 next Wednesday, 24-7 uh, Sports YouTube channel will be hosting National Signing Day. So team recaps, positional breakdowns, anything you need 
all right there, man. Going to be a lot of fun. He's the best. Thank you, Cooper. Uh, and thank you for Thanks, those listening to listen to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel and Jared Mack signing off. We'll have Matt back with us next week, probably Monday or Tuesday. Don't have that fully figured out. But uh, before we, I guess we'll talk to you guys sometime next week. Uh, talk to you later, folks. Thanks, guys. <laughs>